How can obstetricians reassure their pregnant patients about the risks associated with Zika virus? I'm Becky Volker with JAMA Medical News. Today we're talking with Christine Curry, who has some of the answers. Dr. Curry is an assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Miami. She's also the point person who helps patients and her colleagues keep up with new information. So, Dr. Curry, when the first CDC travel alert came out in January, what were the first steps that you and your OBGYN colleagues took to care for your patients and keep them informed? It was rapidly evident, given the location of Miami, that we were going to have a lot of patients that either lived in or had traveled to Zika-affected countries. And so we assembled a team of infectious disease, infection specialists, obstetricians, pediatricians, et cetera, to have a coordinated plan on campus so that when one of these patients presented, we were following a protocol, following guidelines, and making sure we were giving them up-to-date information. After that alert came out, what were a lot of the day-to-day uncertainties that were most problematic for you to deal with? The day-to-day uncertainties in January and currently are similar. They include the fact that we don't know the exact consequences to the fetus if a pregnant woman is infected. There are a lot of unknowns in terms of counseling. When a patient comes and says, I traveled to a Zika-infected area, I don't know what fraction of the mosquito bites put her at risk. And even if she's bit by a mosquito, we don't know how many patients who are symptomatic or asymptomatic are going to transmit that infection to the pregnancy. And then even if the pregnancy is infected, we can't counsel her what chance or what percent of the infected pregnancies are actually affected, meaning have some sort of sequelae or neurologic developmental problems going forward. So at each step of the sort of risk, we don't have hard numbers to give patients so that they can weigh the risks and benefits with their friends and family. There are guidelines available from the CDC, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, but you've just outlined some of the uncertainties. So does it seem that the guidelines in their current form are sort of vague, or is it just that these are total unknowns about the virus and how it progresses in a patient? I think the guidelines are actually very crisp and very clear because the guidelines are telling us what to do. But the doing is not able yet, or the science is not able yet to tell us, well, when we get a particular result, what are the actual consequences to the real-life patient? So, you know, the CDC and ACOG and SMSM essentially all have the same messaging in terms of who to test for blood, who to do ultrasounds on, and who to do amniocentesis on. The testing is pretty straightforward. But when you get a positive test result in mom, we don't know enough yet to be able to say, because this test is positive, these are the consequences to your fetus. And even when you get a positive immunoglobulin M test, the possibilities of cross-reactivity with other flaviviruses like dengue or yellow fever, don't those increase the difficulties in interpreting what that positive test really means? Sure. You know, no test is perfect. And in this case, because there are other viruses in the same family that can cross-react and those viruses are present in the same locations where Zika virus is present, the positive test still has some 
uncertainty to it. And there are ways to make that test a little bit more precise, but it remains that it's not a perfect test. And so you always, when you're counseling, have to include the phrase, I'm not sure or I don't know, and not give the illusion that we as healthcare providers and we as obstetricians know the exact outcome or answer for someone's pregnancy. How far into a pregnancy can you determine whether the fetus would have microcephaly, and how do you counsel the mother if it appears that the fetus does have the condition? So we think that in the second trimester, that may be the earliest that we can detect differences that are noticeable enough to be able to say to the mom, we're concerned that the brain is not growing well, we're concerned for microcephaly, although it may be something that we don't detect until the third trimester. I think the reason that the timing is really important, particularly in countries where abortion is legal, is that some women would choose, rather than live with the uncertainty, to end that pregnancy because the potential for really profound effect on the fetus exists. And so the timing of testing and the timing of recognition for exposure is really important. And those timing guidelines are in the recommendations from the professional societies? Yeah, so essentially the moment that a healthcare provider recognizes that a woman is both pregnant and has traveled to an area with ongoing Zika virus transmission, that is the time to initiate testing. The testing has a lag time to it from when I send the specimen out of my clinic until the time I get the report back in our experience, has been up to three weeks. And so each step of the way, there's a little bit of lag between the patient traveling, the patient presenting for care, the blood tests being sent, and the blood tests being resulted. So each step of the way, there's a little bit of delay in a very time-sensitive set of decisions. Because of your proximity to the affected regions in Central and South America, your level of suspicion is going to be high. And so what would you tell physicians in other parts of the country who think they may be fairly removed from the situation because they're just not located where you are? Yeah, I think that from a local transmission, from a mosquito-borne in the U.S. transmission standpoint, right now we're all in the same boat in all 50 states. That's there is not mosquito-borne transmission in the U.S. So in some ways, we're all sort of at a similar risk in that if your patient travels, whether you are in New York City or California or Texas or Miami, if your patient has traveled to one of these countries, they all have similar risks. So I think that sort of instituting universal questioning at each OB visit to briefly say, have you traveled since our last visit? No, let me please give you the travel recommendations from the CDC is a quick 60-second way to check base with each OB patient. And we see our OB patients so frequently that I think it's easy to modify and change our guidance as more information is left. Is there anything else that you would like to add that is really important for doctors out there to know? I think that when there's a disease that is largely not understood. There is a temptation to be overly scared or overly cautious, and I think our nervousness can sometimes rub off on our patients. In those sort of settings, it's really the physician's obligation to be calm, be fact-based, and when they're not comfortable, they know the right information, find out for the patient or find someone who can help that patient. Thank you, Dr. Curry. That's really helpful information. 
And thank you for listening. I'm Becky Voker with JAMA Medical News. For more podcasts, visit us online at JAMA.com.